Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the 4th and Inches podcast. Today we are here with the officiating podcast and we've got our main zebra, Roger Goodgroves, with us. How are you doing, Roger? Yeah, very good, thank you. Fantastic. Well, week 12 now is in the books. We've all feasted on our Thanksgiving turkeys and some of us have a lot to be thankful for and other teams, maybe not. But, you know, that's the way the NFL season goes around. And yeah, it's all so it- quickly. Yep, and now it's nitty-gritty time. Now every game matters, particularly those who are still fighting for, you know, playoff contention or draft picks. You know, at the end of the day, even, you know, teams lower down the pecking order are still in with a shout uh, for something to gain. So it's always an exciting time in the NFL, um, you know, particularly as the winter season comes in and everything's, you know, not accessible outdoors, so at least we've got <laughs> NFL, you know. Yeah, but, absolutely. Exactly. Well, by the telly. Exactly. Well, Thanksgiving now was a week ago. Seems like a long, long time ago now. It does, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, but obviously a lot of action to go through on the Thanksgiving day. We're going to start off with the um, Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. So um, a few incidences that we've got to talk about. Um, the first one being the Jesse James face mask on um, the Lions corner. Um, a lot of, obviously, you know, people calling for, you know, offensive um, sort of pass interference or yeah. also some sort, you know, what what was the call on that particular? Come back to that one, because we hmm. promised last week that oh. we would look into the Bucks illegal formation foul. We, did, we couldn't we understand. Yeah, apologies. I completely forgot. No, about no that. worries. <laughs> it's a good job one of us remembers. Yeah, exactly. It was you that raised it, actually, because uh, if you remember rightly, yeah, Evans um, lined up in a position that he lined up in, and he lined up in exactly the same position the following play, and it was legal. And the question was why? And we couldn't understand it. And yeah. um, looking at the, the video, there seemed to be some unusual things going on but certainly not in an illegal formation sense. So last week I committed to see if I could find out a bit more and, and, and talk to a few people and see if I could get down to the bottom of it, which I have done. Yeah. Um, so I talked to one of the uh, NFL white hats um, to try and get a bit of insight to see if I'd misunderstood what the play was being called, if there was a formation issue that was there and I couldn't see it or whatever. And also I looked at the NFL's official play-by-play record. Um, which is an invaluable source of information. And, and if you ever sort of uh, get a bit bored, then uh, it's a it's a really <laughs> great one to look at, especially Patriots games, because they add um, some extra bits of information in to promote the Patriots when, when they get a chance. Anyway, wow. um, back to the Bucks game. So it was called on the field as an illegal formation, and we, we couldn't understand why. And the line judge was coming in, seeming to talk to Evans, um, and there was a player coming out, um, looked like he's just, you know, been substituted. Anyway, yeah. long shot of it is that the original foul was announced as a legal formation. However, the game book says it was an illegal substitution. Right. Which 
completely changes everything. Now, the, in terms of illegal substitution rules, it's again, it's a sort of catch-all phrase for a number of things it could be. However, one of the requirements um, for a substitution process is that a player coming in from the sidelines must at least come into the numbers um, and not linger by the sideline. Because if you imagine he's coming from his own sideline, and if the defence don't see him come there, he could linger in there as what's called a hideout play. Right. Um, so one of the rules to, to ensure that doesn't happen is that a substitution has to come into the numbers and then can go out again. But they have to have come in in order to be visible by the, to the defence before yeah. the play. And that would also explain why the line judge was coming in to speak to Evans to say, you've got to get in further. You've not come into the numbers. Um didn't listen, didn't move, and yeah. the flag was thrown on it. Um, uh, so, all in all, that's what it was called on, not on what it was announced as. So, it sure. does explain it and does explain why we couldn't work out why the formation seemed logical but was called. But, yeah, that's the reason fantastic. Now, I can rest easy now knowing that that information because it was something that was sort of bugging me. I know we discussed it a few days back and I think that's probably why I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about it because you sort of <laughs> rightly, you know, explained, you know, what had happened. But um, yeah, so back, so back to this question mark, interception, interference, yeah. et cetera, that we talked about a second ago. So yeah. the playing question was um, a badly thrown ball by the quarterback and the defence go up to try and get that ball. Um, and the, the receiver, who is now becomes a defender, is trying to stop the play, player getting it. Yeah. And he grabs hold of his helmet with two hands, and he pulls him backwards. So the question mark is, firstly, why isn't that offensive pass interference? We see it called so much time with defensive pass interference. So why wasn't this offensive? Yeah. Well, the answer to that question is timing. So... You can interfere with the player once the player has touched the ball. So you can allow to try and hit him to stop him completing the catch, but you're not allowed to hit him before he's done that. Now, if you look at the time of this play, it's what you'd call a bang-bang play. In other words, the ball arrives at the same time as the defender now, the, the, the receiver. Um, and therefore, that's why that wouldn't be called as an offensive pass interference. So the second question that comes into this is, well, he grabbed his head, his face mask, question mark. You know, shouldn't it yeah. be a face mask foul? Well, it's not illegal to grab a helmet. It's illegal to grab and twist or pull a helmet yeah. by one of the openings, normally a face mask, but it could be an ear hole, it could be the back of the helmet, etc. So it's not illegal to actually touch a helmet. So he touches it with open hands and pulls the, the um, defender backwards. So it's neither a foul for offensive pass interference nor for a face mask because it didn't meet the criteria for the face mask penalty. Right. Okay. Uh, very interesting one there. Um, I think we had a couple of uh, listeners sort of mention that one, didn't they? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's understandable because when I first looked at it, because I was watching on Gaming 40 and I went, oh, hang on, isn't that OPI? Yeah. That was my first instinct on that. Sure. Um, but yes, it, it's an unusual one. You, you'd Contact of the helmet is often called as a face mask, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the next play we're going to talk about the same game is the Detroit Lions punt, uh, which hit uh, one of the Lions players, I believe, on the helmet and 
what what was sort of decision given on on this particular one? Because I think yeah. there was some confusion from the Lions. Yes, yeah, so there, there is some confusion and some confusion naturally because normally when the kicking team kick it away by punting it, they're giving up possession and they're not allowed to touch it. That's called a violation. And they're not allowed to um, pick it up and run with it as if they've got the ball. Um, unless, and there are a number of alesses, um, but basically it, it boils down to whether the opposition have already touched it. Yeah. Now, the receiving team, the punt returners, um, have those violations where the kicking team touch it as options for places to decide to take the next snap from. And there could be multiple times. So if a kick goes downfield, a defender touches it, but the ball continues to roll and the kicking team touches it again. So you've got two enforcement spots for the illegal touching. Yeah. And illegal touches in a weird one. It, it's a violation, but not a penalty. So there's no yardage attached to it, um, but it's just an option spot where the, the receiving team can take the ball. So that's under normal circumstances. So what we had was the punt hit the helmet of one of the kicking team and then yeah. rolled another 30 yards forward off that helmet. And then the Bears took the ball at that point. Now, under normal circumstances, they could take the violation spot, the spot 20, 30 yards further forward, as where they're going to take the ball. However, there is an exception to the violation touching option. And if the there is an accepted penalty um, then that option goes away. And right. the Bears happen to hold on this play. Therefore, they can't take the violation spot. They actually oh, then can only take the end of the kick spot and then are penalised from there for the illegal holding, either half distance or 10 yards, depending on where the, the ball ended up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's an unusual one. And you would normally expect the Bears to have an option to take the, the kick at the touch spot. But because of the enforced penalty, they don't have that option any longer. And that's that's why it was confusing for many. Fair enough. Um, the next uh, play we're going to talk about is the matchup between the uh, Jets and the Houston Texans. So this was the Zach Wilson. <laughs> I think a lot of people saw this one. Uh, probably the only footage they probably did watch of the game unless you were there. But um, Zach Wilson having his uh, helmet taken off from um, one of the players and then still looking to make a play. So talk us through this particular yeah. so, incident. So if you if you think about it from a point of view of safety, yeah. if a player's helmet comes off, let's say they're the runner, just for sake of argument, because it's the easiest one to think about. Yeah. If they were allowed to continue, there would be a real risk of them being seriously injured with helmets coming in from the opposition. Therefore... As soon as a helmet comes off for a runner, then the play is ruled dead at that point. And the player is not allowed to continue to participate. And the reason I mentioned this one is, A, it's such an obvious face mask foul. You know, everybody would call it the, the 50 men in a bar type question. Yeah. Um, but it was the illegal participation. And, and the reason why it, it was unusual this week is you don't see it very often but there was a college game on at the weekend between florida and florida state and at the yeah. very end of the game you actually had um a player's helmet come off he continues from the four yard line into the end zone 
and he was flagged for the legal participation because obviously he's supposed to stop as soon as his helmet came off and the defense were flagged for hitting him um because obviously you know that that's the danger that you're trying to avoid so the player's not allowed to continue nor is the defense allowed to hit him anyway even if he's standing still um and and therefore there's two fouls on the play in that example of the college play there wasn't a flag for the actual helmet coming off that right. was deemed to be legal in a similar way to the play we just discussed earlier where you know you can have helmet contact um and it doesn't have to be a, a penalty but you know coming back to the jets one it was an obvious one helmet came off he needs to stop at that point now the referees will give a little leeway um you know because now when your adrenaline's going and you're trying to fight for yardage, the natural instinct is to carry on playing. Uh, yeah. And they should be blowing the whistles and blowing it dead immediately to try and avoid any continuing action by either side. Um, but it was interesting, not just because of the Jets play, but because of the Florida, Florida State play as well, where sure. something similar happened the same weekend. And uh, I'll, I'll put a link to the... Uh, the Florida State play in there as well while we're talking about it. And you can have a look what I mean about the continued participation. Exactly. And just, obviously just, for our <clears> listeners. While, while we're still on Thanksgiving yeah. Day games, actually, um, sure. there was one, a, a weird and wonderful one. Um, that came, There was a coin. And, and I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I think it was the Bears, wasn't it? It was the same game, I believe. Yeah. It was the same game. Yeah. I remember which which one came first but yes i think it was a bears game wasn't it and um on the coin toss the team that win toss have the option to receive the kick decide which way they're gonna kick off from third option their third option is to defer that choice to the second half yeah. And they therefore then get the option in the second half. Do they want to receive the ball or do they want to kick off? Nearly always they're going to receive the ball, but you know, wind conditions, etc. They might obviously choose the latter, but it's very, yeah. very rare. Then once the, the team that's won the toss um, are given those three options, the team that lost the choice are the, given the remaining two options, either receive the ball or to decide which direction to kick. Uh, and... Um, I think it was, I can't remember which way the coin toss went, but the team that lost the coin toss were given the option after the the team that won, and they chose to defer as well. Yeah, that was the that was the Lions who chose to defer. I remember I I visioned it now. I've seen Jared Goff um, point out that he was deferring um, and pointing in the other direction. So yeah, it was the Lions who deferred, I believe. Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's just a weird one that, you know, even in, in so, so-called pro league, you know, the, the players don't necessarily uh, have all the uh, the right thought processes going on. He was told probably by his coach when he went in, you know, if we win the toss, defer. Um, so when given the option, he just said, I want to defer. Well, no, you don't get that option. Yeah. Not, not if you didn't win the coin toss. Anyway, exactly. so an unusual one, but made me laugh just because... Uh, Obviously, you think of them as professionals, but occasionally they don't don't act in a professional manner. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, Jared Goff, it doesn't surprise me. He's he's not the most uh, from a quarterback perspective. He's uh, if you ever watch the Rams hard knocks, he doesn't come across as being the most intelligent guy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, Jared, if you're listening. Not that he will be, but uh, <laughs> the next game we're going to talk about is another Thanksgiving game between the uh, Cowboys and the Raiders. So this was the um, the kickoff return with the official eating some grass. Yes, 
So. Yeah, I, I, I get it. It made me smile. I had great sympathy for the official here, <laughs> but um, uh, we have a kickoff return, and, and unusual for the for the um, the NFL nowadays, a, a long return for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, well, what's made me smile on it was that the official on the sideline who's covering the return is running upfield, looking in, looking in for any blocks that might be illegal, etc. And as he's going down the sideline he suddenly takes a cropper, um, bites the dirt, and um, looks back to see if somebody on the sideline has been in the wrong place, which would be a, a penalty for sideline interference. Yeah. And it would be a 15-yard penalty uh, either on the, the extra point or on the kickoff. Um, but he looks around to see that it was actually a pylon that he tripped over. Now, that, yeah. you think, why is the pylon in that position? Well, it's put there on a kickoff 10 yards away from the kicking team's um, kicking spot. And the reason why it's there is if there's an onside kick, it's very good to have a replay view down the line of who touched it before it got to that line, who yeah. blocked before the line. So all the rules relating to what you can do on a kickoff. Unfortunately, they left it there and the, the wing official tootling down the sideline, obviously not looking at where he's going because he shouldn't. He's looking in field takes a cropper. So uh, I'm sure they'll change the regulations for what TV do yeah. and have a little side note that says, as soon as the kit goes deep, pick that pylon up. <laughs> yeah, get someone to do that for them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And there is somebody that, that we have game day assistants uh, often responsible for the pylons and the, the first down uh, marker camera. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're part of the chain crew and they often put that down um, or it's from somebody from the TV production. Um, either way, uh, I'm sure that there'll be a memo going out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there will be. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is the uh, Tennessee Titans against the New England Patriots. So, uh, this was um, Ryan Tanhill on offense, um, you know, sort of in the red zone area. Uh, believe threw the ball to Westbrook. Westbrook dives in, knees are down, but then he's not touched and then suddenly glances forward. Um, it's not given a call as a touchdown, but Mike Vrabel was obviously a bit unhappy with, with that particular decision at that point, wasn't he? Absolutely. And he challenged the play. Yeah. Now, if you remember a few weeks back, we were talking about whether somebody giving themselves up by diving to the ground made the play dead. And we talked about a punt returner who yeah. slipped on yeah, the return. Yeah. And we talked about the fact that the diving to the ground to give yourself up rule requires an intentional act. And obviously the officials on the field decided that the player who dived towards the goal line was diving down and not slipping. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were ruled to have therefore um, been down short of the goal line. However, it went to replay because of the challenge flag. Now, replay correctly ruled that the player actually, even though he was going down to the ground, had already breached the goal line with the ball. Um, they couldn't overturn the call of whether or not he was diving because uh, replay deals in, in facts, not judgment. Yeah. And, uh, the judgment, whether somebody's intentionally or uh, otherwise going to the ground has been made and they, they can't make that call. But they could determine the position of the ball at first contact with the ground. Yeah, fair enough. And the next one we're going to talk about. So I um, just want to ask you, uh, Roger, what were you doing in 1999? 
<laughs> watching football probably but it's a long time ago isn't it and, it and the is. reason why you're asking that is because this particular uh, foul hasn't been called in the nfl since 1999 yeah I, I was actually playing football back in 1999 um yeah. oh no actually now i'd retired from playing football i was coaching by then so yeah so uh, watching football and coaching but uh yeah hadn't started my officiating career by then still coaching but yes, a long time ago, and, and the particular fouling question was called assisting the runner. Um, now, you're allowed to block for the runner, yeah. <laughs> people out of the way, and you're allowed to push the runner. What you're not allowed to do is to pull the runner. And we had a clear example here of a foul that should have been called, hasn't been called for ages, and it has happened uh, more recently than the 30 years ago. It's just a foul that just doesn't seem to get called. I, I don't know whether the... Uh, the people at the head of the department said, look, that's not really a flag we want calling. I don't know why, why they don't therefore propose a rule change um, and put that to the competition committee. Um, it's a weird one for me, um, yeah. but this is a clear example of assisting the runner where the big tackle um, who's back to back to the, the, the defense, grabs hold of the receiver and literally drags him and turns him round and makes extra yardage out of it. Um, so yeah. it should have been called. Um, yeah. And I don't know why it wasn't called. And, and I have seen some former NFL referees who said it should be called as well, even in that example. So it can't be a complete dictate that says no calling it, yeah. but um, and there must be a, a level they want it rising to. And and he, he seemed to think that uh, the level was met. And I'd agree. Um, you know, if yeah. you have that rule, it's there for a, a purpose. Um, yeah to not give an advantage. So it should have been a 10-hour penalty yeah. uh, from the spot of the offence. 100%. And that was a play by Javante Williams, the running back. Uh, I can't remember who the offensive lineman was, but once again, all the videos will be on our link. Um, so be sure to watch it. It's a, it's a, it's a funny one. Um, the next one we're going to talk about is um, the Monday night football matchup between the Seattle Seahawks and the Washington football team. So this was with just under 10 seconds or whatever you to go um, of the game. Um, this was a onside kick attempt uh, by the Seahawks. But what was wrong with this onside kick attempt? Yes. Before we, after we've done this one, because this would normally be our last one, I've just actually uh, remembered another one that I wanted to cover because ah. people have been talking about it. But we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. It was in sure. the Dallas game, um, but it caused a lot of controversy. And we'll come back to that in a second. But taking the, this Seattle onside kick recovery. Um, so, again, we have terminology in terms of how fouls are called that often are a catch-all phrase. So illegal formation, we talked about before. Illegal formation in a kickoff can be a number of things, depending on who's, whether it's the kickers or the receivers. And the reason for the needing to be formation um, structure is to avoid overloading one side with all of your players and creating a dangerous position for the defenders who are faced with the wall of muscle. Um, so in this particular example, on a kickoff, firstly, there needs to be at least two players lined up between the sideline and the numbers, and at least two players, additional players, must be lined up between the numbers and the hash marks. Yeah. And in this particular uh, kickoff example, 
whilst uh, Seattle kicked the ball, they only had one player between the numbers and the hash marks. Somebody was a yarn out of place. So an excellent call by the officials, difficult one to spot. It's in a crucial position, um, but was correctly ruled and, and is there for a purpose to avoid there being an unfair advantage for one team over the other on the, the onside kick. Uh, the other thing about this onside kick was interesting, even if you ignore the formation foul for a second, is that the ball took an unusual hop. And so the Washington receiver came forward from his restraining line um, so let's just talk about restraining lines for a second, because on kicks, very important. So the kicking team have a restraining line, which is where it's, the ball is kicked from. Yeah. And they cannot touch the ball until it is gone at least 10 yards. The receiving team have a restraining line, which is 10 yards away from the kickoff. So basically the same spot. However, at the kick, once the kick is gone, the receiving team can move forward to take the ball. So the Washington defender moves forward to try and recover that ball. Now, if, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, we had a, a situation, I think it was in a, a Dallas game, where um, the ball was spinning um, when it was kicked, and it didn't look like it was going to go 10 yards. And the question mark was, why didn't somebody pick it up? Well, the answer to that question goes back to the similar situation to this one, which was you run a risk, because if you touch that ball the 10-yard restraining limit for the kicking team is no longer there. Right. So they can recover the ball once it has been touched. If it's short of the 10 yards, otherwise the ball has to go 10 yards before they can get it. So the Washington defender comes forward for the ball and the ball leaps over the top of him. Now, if that had touched him, it would have been eligible for Seattle to recover it before it had gone the 10 yards. So it didn't, but... In replay, it was a very, very close call. Secondly, because it didn't touch him, it's still not eligible for Seattle to recover the ball. So Seattle have to wait until either the kicking, the, sorry, the retrieving team touch it or it's gone those 10 yards. As it happens, almost coincidental timing, one of the other Washington players reaches forward past the restraining line and yeah. touches the ball just before the Seattle player got it. If he'd have left it, I suspect the Seattle player would have touched it before the 10 yards and it would have been in a case of legal touching yeah, and uh, Washington would have got the ball at that spot. But anyway, because of the penalty, that was immaterial because Seattle did recover the, the ball, but because of the penalty, they had to re-kick it. But yeah. an unusual one and, and, and all the... Kicks are one of the worst things to officiate, um, especially onside kicks. So much going on, so many rules relating to restraining lines, who can touch what, when, who can block yep. when. Because, again, Seattle can't block uh, the Washington players before that 10 yards has gone either. Um, but Washington can come forward to initiate the block, and that's then not against Seattle. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, quite a lot going on there in, uh, in, in a kickoff recovery, and it's a nightmare um, because it all happens so quickly. Yeah, 100%. Um, nightmare to work out. And yeah, frustration again. Pete Carroll having them obviously, you know, have to do that all over again. But, you know, that's football. Um, so, yeah, so going back, going to, back to the other one, one. Yeah. a number of people commented on this one on the NFL UK Facebook group. So I just wanted to, to pick up on a few of the nuances of the rule because 
one of the um, rules analysts that was covering the game on the day um, said something that um, made me think, I'm not sure that they're, they're following the correct sequence here. So I double checked and make sure that I wasn't reading the rule book wrong. Right. So what we had is a Las Vegas pass to Darren Waller, who touches the ball, takes a couple of steps, and then at or around the next step, the ball comes loose. Yeah. Dallas recovered the ball. It was then going um, out of bounds, and a Dallas player made a miraculous dive, threw it back inbounds without him touching out of bounds, which would have made the ball dead. Yeah. And then Dallas recovered. So a great athletic play. However, it all goes down to whether or not this was a pass that was incomplete or it was a fumble. Yeah. So we talked about this, and, and it comes up every week because it's a, probably the most critical element of rules in the NFL, which is the catch process. And the catch process, as we've talked before, is a three-stage process. It's control of the ball, body parts down, two feet or one other body part, and then a football move. One of those football moves is a third step. So if we look at the, the Waller play, and, and it, some things are good to look at in slow motion from a replay perspective. Others, it's best to look at them in real-time speed. But the third step element is definitely one of those you really need to slow it down. So you need to establish when was control made, then when did he get his next two feet down, and then when's the third? And if you look at when the third comes, the ball is being knocked loose just prior to his third foot hitting the ground. So correctly ruled after a little bit of a delay, and I suspect with a little assistance from the, the guy in the video booth, correctly ruled as an incomplete pass. And therefore Dallas obviously can't recover it. It just went to ground. It'll be the next down, next play. Um, one of the things that confused, it seems, Gene Steratore, who was talking on the broadcast, was he talked about a football move prior to the third step. So I've looked at the, the, the rule book, and as we talked about the three stages, um, the three-step process is control two feet or another body part, and then the third step. And the rule actually says, after A and B have been fulfilled, in other words, after the control, after the two feet, then you have a body part rule. You can't have the football move prior to the two feet or body part section. So even though he might control the ball in the air, seem to twist as if he's reaching for a goal line, etc. unless he's already established the feet that third part isn't yet able to be done. So he has to have done the third part after yeah. the first two. Um, so, yeah, an important aspect of that, that catch, and it keeps coming back in, catch, process, catch, process, every week. Um, yeah. <laughs> and eventually, eventually people remember it, but it is quite a, um, a nuanced ruling, um, but quite a key one. Yeah, 100% it is. But, um, you know, it, it's something we'll continue to talk about because, as you know, there'll be more and more key decisions and at the time fans will be sort of questioning it but yeah that's uh week 12 in the book so we're going to move on to week 13 um any sort of plans before then i know we've got the game tonight between the saints and the cowboys so that'll be an interesting one um any sort of plans for the weekend roger um 
normally I would say yes. Normally I'd be officiating, but I'm actually I picked up an injury last weekend, and okay. um, so I'm, I've had to scratch myself from this week's game. I'm afraid. So uh, oh. I, I'm, I'm, which is not a bad thing all in all, because there's quite a lot of uh, college football playoffs start this weekend. And yeah. uh, so, you know, if there's a weekend where I have to sort of sit on the sofa with my leg up, then um, I, there could be worse ones. Exactly. Exciting times. We've got obviously Alabama, Georgia coming up. We've got the NFL action um, on Sunday. And like you say, um, I think this is the last week of bye weeks, isn't it? Um, this week or next week? Can't remember now. Uh, yeah. It's all, it all it's all starts getting very intense all of a sudden. Exactly. So, yeah, very much looking forward to it, Roger. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to the show. You know, keep plugging us, keep giving us feedback, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. You know, we really appreciate any comments. Um, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.